Say Monday? I'm sorry. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I'll tell you why I thought it was Monday. Because it's September 1st. Is it September? Okay, September 1st today. I'm not totally disoriented. And since it's December, September 1st, I feel like it's the beginning of something. Happy kids going back to school day. At least wh- whichever kids are going back. They're all staggering in. I don't know if it's better for the parents or the children. I could tell you one thing. It is most definitely better for the children. Kids need kids. That's for sure. So if you're living in a place where the kids are back to school or may everyone be healthy, safe, and well, thank God extra that you're in an environment where the kids get to go and be with other children. Great opportunity for a new month. Even though it's in the secular calendar, it's still an opportunity for us to sort of take a step back and think. Every new month brings in new beginnings. This is an opportunity for us now as we move into the fall to really get serious about taking our lives to the next level and growing a little bit better every single day. Well, these past few days, we've been really delving into the idea of negative thoughts. This came out of a story I heard over the weekend, but a rabbi who someone threw eggs at him was able to go above it, not get drawn into it. I want to talk today about this idea of negative thoughts and how we bring negative thoughts on that aren't even real. Right. There's a famous quote by Mark Twain. Andy's going to get the quote correct. So I'll just, you know, get as, I'll get it as close as humanly possible. And for those that are on Zoom or Facebook, you'll get the real quote. It says, I've suffered many tragedies in life, half of or most of which have never come true. I'll see how close I got to that. I've suffered many tragedies in life, Mark Twain, most of which have never come true. And what he was getting at is the torture the negativity that we bring upon ourselves through our minds of things that aren't even true. It's one thing to be anxious or nervous or, okay, here it is. I knew it. By the way, just so everybody knows, that was like, what, 30 seconds? Less. I am an old man and have known many great troubles, but most of them never happened. That was pretty close. I'm just letting you know for the record, that was pretty close. Uh, 1910, Mark Twain. Check it out on Facebook um, or on Zoom. Now, what Mark Twain was getting at, thank you, Liron. <laughs> thank you, Liron. Well, Mark was, what, what Mark Twain was getting at is this idea that there are things that we're nervous about. There are things that we can, that, that bring us the proper amount of, of tension, but there are things that we're just making up. It's not even real. It's just, it's made up in our minds. And so what we're doing is we're suffering an imaginatory problem. Now, the mind can't distinguish between the imagination and real, right? It's all in the brain. It's inside work. So we're just bringing in us a, re- a, a perceived reality that isn't even actual. Yesterday, we spoke about how in order to be able to be always in a state of empowerment, you have to disconnect the circumstance with the experience, right? The experience is something that's thoughtful, something that comes in my mind. I experience things based on how I feel about them. The circumstances is external and we have to separate them and not allow external circumstances to impact my feeling. But let's go even further. We're talking about not when the external circumstance is a problem. We're talking about external circumstances is fine. We're just making stuff up in our heads. We're just we're just creating stuff, living an internal negative experience that never really happened. We're living in negative fantasy land. So 
how does this happen for him? So let's break it down. Remember we spoke earlier about this concept that our minds are built to survive. So if your mind is built to survive, if you are given two equally stimulating concepts or circumstances, and one is negative and one is positive, you're going to incline towards the negative. Normal. You're normal. I'm normal. That's what you do. Nothing wrong with you if that happens to you because your brain is built to survive. So if you have a choice between negative and positive, you can survive if you forgot the positive, but you can survive if you got the negative, right? If it's 50-50 and you opt the, the, with, with the negative and you're wrong, you still survive. If it's 50-50 and you opt with the positive and you're wrong, you don't survive, right? So your brain is almost inclined to negativity. Normal. You walk into a room, great job, great job, great job, great job, great job. That was terrible. You zero in on that was terrible. The negativity creates some level of thing you have to worry about and think about. And this all comes back to your brain. That's how God keeps you alive, right? You walk down the street, this nice guy, nice guy, nice guy, nice guy, scary looking dude, right? If your brain's like, hmm, everyone's great. That scary looking dude could kill you. If your brain goes, all, how was the walk? It was, it was, it was scary. I mean, everyone was nice except for one guy. But at least if you incline towards a negative, you can survive, okay? The problem is, is that if you don't upgrade your brain from survival to greatness, you, you end up taking the tools that were used, that were meant to be used every once in a while, physical survival, and you bring them into a social world where they're not meant to be used like this. Stress is good because if you're in a situation of danger and your body goes into high gear, that's a good thing. When the soldiers are in some, you know, terrorist filled area and they're at high alert and everything is working through the amygdala hijack that's great because that's what they're supposed to be that the body is supposed to be acting but if they if every time you had any stress you're using the same amygdala hijack it's chronic it's a problem if every time you speak you're feeling the same way that a soldier feels when he's walking around in a, in a dark alleyway you'll that chronic stress and then that's when your heart starts going to hold you the problem is not having negative emotions. The problem is not knowing how do you transfer them into everyday life. Because in everyday life, you're not at threat. You're not, you're not playing for your survival. But you and I have to teach ourselves how to convert what is a very healthy way your body looks at the world, which is keeping you alive, and how most things that you're going through in life are not for your survival. But unless you upgrade your thinking, your brain only has the survival, right? Your brain only knows what it's programmed with. You have to, pre -pro you have to reprogram the parts of your mind as you get into regular life because it doesn't, it should not live off the same principles as the more raw way of living your life. We're not fighting a war every time we walk into a, a, a synagogue or into a bar mitzvah or down the street. We're not battling for our survival every time we walk into work or see our families. So if we don't work at this, when we go into life, we're using the wrong program to interpret the world around us. That's why we're so, in my opinion, that's why we are more prone to negativity because that's the, that's level one. Right. And a lot of people stay 
their whole lives on level, level one. I just got this email yesterday from somebody. Great guy who listens to the show. Not, I'm not saying great guy because he listens to the show. Great guy, period, listens to the show, period. He says that right now we're entering into the time of the high holidays for those that are in this season with me. And a lot of people step up now in their religious practice because when they were little, someone taught them that if you don't, God's going to like zap you. They don't really want to be doing it. The relationship with God is not really a strong relationship of love. It's really just fear. And the reason is, as I explained to him, was that when you're little, the kids don't have a very, kids don't have gray. It's black and white. So when you try to get them to grapple with the creator of the universe, you use very broad terms. So for a kid to like understand that God is divine energy and he loves you always and spirituality, this stuff's complicated. So they stay into these very sort of basic things where he's not here, so he must be up there and he's in control. And these basic concepts that kids learn, you're supposed to graduate at as you get to be an adult. But there are a lot of adults that still come to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur like they were eight years old. They're just more sophisticated. They just have jobs and can say more words. But like, it's the same thing. I don't really want to be here, but I have to because if I don't, God's going to zap me and not give me a good life. It's Amazon.com. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. In fact, based on what we've been learning, it gets harder as you get older because your, your life gets neuroplastic, gets stronger. You think people that are like older are more evolved emotionally? I don't know. It depends. If you're working on your emotions, then you are. But if you're not, you could be worse. You could be much worse when you're older in terms of the, your emotional uh, immaturity than you can as a kid. It's possible, right? Because if you're having the same thoughts... And your, uh, yeah, your children and the, the thoughts are now more firmly implanted in you. So just as kids, when you start your life and it's hard for you to distinguish between challenges, as you get older, it doesn't make it any easier unless we put in the work. Period. Greatness is a choice. Greatness is, is, is a new system. You have to download the system. They did this great research. This is interesting research. They did this great research on Mac users I don't know if it was Mac users, on Dell users. I forgot which one it was, but they did great research where they wanted to identify causes or correlations between entrepreneurial success. And they did this interesting study on people with browsers that come on the computer or downloaded browsers. So if you use Chrome, I don't know how it is now, but if you, especially if you're an Apple guy, I'm an Apple guy. So if I use Chrome on my Apple, I have to have downloaded that. Safari comes with it. I don't remember what Dell uses. It's been so long since I used a non-Apple, but I'm sure the non-Apple people can tell me like what's down, what's the basic fact, like Firefox, I don't remember. What's the, what's the MSN, like Internet Explorer. Thank you, Andy. Of course, Andy knows. Internet Explorer. I don't know what it is now, but I remember Internet Explorer. Now it's called Microsoft Edge. I don't know what that is. But yeah, Internet Explorer. And they did this incredible research that if you used the factory setting web browser, if you, the, the level of success was lower than if you downloaded a browser. It doesn't apply to everybody. So if it's you, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to you. But that bit, who cares what browser you use to determine the success of your, of your venture? And the answer is, is that when a person downloads a browser, what he, is, he or she is saying is, I just want better. I'm willing to upgrade. I'm willing to be, I'm willing to put in the effort for something more versus I'll take what they give me. It's a question of your ability to push back against authority. That's how it works with your brain. 
there are people that are just like, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. I was always like this. You know what they do? They go back to like kids. That's oh, I remember when I was six years old and we, everyone was playing in the playground and I just couldn't get on the slide. It's, I've always been like this. Got it. Like, let's call life. Yeah. You had, you know, Internet Explorer as a kid. But guess what? You can download Chrome. It's hard. But you got to. We're not upgrading our way of seeing the world constantly. Like, what are we doing? We're, we're allowing the way we see as children to determine our lives. How is that? How is that an excuse? This is who I am. That's how you are. God put you in this world and said, this is who you are for the rest of your life. When is that? When did that happen? We have a program that doesn't work. It worked as a kid. Yeah. Upgrade. And one of the greatest upgrades is the recognition that when I look out into the world, I'm, I used to be more inclined to see the negative. And if I don't teach myself how to distinguish that and know where negative is appropriate in danger and where it's mostly inappropriate in most of life, I'm always going to feel negative thoughts and I'm not going to control it. And I'm not going to know how to control it. I'm not going to control it because I don't even know where I'm playing, what game I'm playing. So let me give you one critical game that we can start talking about right now. Other people. We are, we have, remember everything we're doing comes from a schema. We are in many ways, like I said, more prone to seeing the negative not only in other people, but in ourselves. We're more prone to be harder on ourselves. I believe the studies show that women are more women prone than men. I remember that correctly. I believe that women are harder on themselves than men are harder on themselves. But still, we are a little bit more sensitive and more defensive of ourselves. Now that manifests with regards to other people. When we see other people, it is more, it is easy for us to assume that what they're doing or saying or not saying is more negative to us than is actually the case. So you walk into a room and someone's whispering in the corner. It is easier for you to assume that they're talking about you than not unless you're supremely self-confident, which most people are not. If someone gives you a snide remark, it's easier for you to assume that something wrong with you than something wrong with them. What? If somebody doesn't call you back, that was a, if someone doesn't call you back, that was a live reaction. There. If someone doesn't call you back, it is easier for you to assume that they're upset or that they are rejecting you, then they just got busy. When you look out to the interpersonal relationships that you have, a lot of the negativity that comes into our minds is based on a perceived rejection or disappointment with us from people that may or may not be thinking that or may or may not be thinking that at the level that you think they're thinking at. So a lot of how we relate to the world is almost in defense of something that was either made up or exaggerated. This happens all the time. Someone comes down the steps 
and mom is this way or kid is this way. And like, it begins. He must, she must. Husbands and wife do this all the time because usually a husband and a wife see the world in very different ways and they communicate in very different ways. So if the husband doesn't do something, the wife interprets it as the way it would be if she didn't do it, which would be clearly offensive. Guy's out to lunch. has no idea what you're talking about. I mean, the wife forgets something that's really important to the husband. He assumes that she feels something that she doesn't. She just doesn't realize that he's super sensitive to this one area. When you walk into a room and someone says something, and person like, how could you say that? They don't realize that you're sensitive about something that they're not sensitive about. Everyone has a different schema. Everyone has a different background. Everyone has a different life. So what this person is sensitive to are things that the other person, even if they know, can't possibly be as sensitive to that. They didn't grow up in that house. They weren't dealing with this thing, right? I remember one time we were talking to people about law school. I'll never forget, and we were having a conversation about law school, and someone made a line like, about like families and, uh, oh, they were, they were talking about how hard it is to get into a law school because they have all these different things. And one of the things that law schools have is they, they favor legacy. I got so offended. What are you talking about? I'm like, what are you defending Columbia? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, what are you on the, are you on the admissions committee? And later did I realize that his older brother and uncle went to Columbia. And it dawned on me that like when we're sitting around hawking that this, he, he took it as it was like a, a like a, a jab to him. Like he didn't belong there. <laughs> so here's the rule that I try to live with and I want you to think about today. If, if you see somebody that's upset with you, that's insensitive to you, if they don't articulate it clearly, assume it's not there. If someone's mad at you and they don't say I'm upset with you, assume they're not mad at you. If someone thinks that you don't belong somewhere, if they don't articulate, I think you don't belong somewhere, just assume they don't think that. If the person, the people around you want to share with you a criticism, they don't have the guts or the ability to articulate it in words, then assume that they don't think it. Because the chances of them thinking it the way that you think they're thinking it is probably very low. And the amount of time that you will gain in positive emotions by assuming that everyone in the world is happy with you unless they articulate it. Now, it's, it's different to try to get better. Forget that. We'll talk about another time about striving to be greatness. Let's talk about just the negative piece of this. If someone doesn't call you back, if they're rejecting you, until they say we're rejecting you, don't assume that they're rejecting you. The rule is that if you're mad at me or you're upset with what I did or you have a problem with something that I'm doing or you don't like something about me, if you don't have the guts and the, and the ability to articulate it to me directly, then it's not worth me guessing. And as you walk into a room, remind yourself a million times, why assume that? If it's a problem, they'll say something. If I'm sitting around a room and someone doesn't have the guts to say, I believe kids that don't get into this, da, 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 why assume that they're thinking that? If someone doesn't call me back or that person doesn't deliver for me, unless they say it in an articulate way that they think something is right or wrong or I'm this or I'm that, unless it comes out in a very clear way, my assumption that it's coming out is actually more dangerous than whether or not every once in a while they think that.
since I don't know what they're thinking. I need to rely on something real to hold on to, like words. It's too difficult for me to go into the world of assumptions. It's too challenging for me to be able to assume that because you, are, you have an innuendo or you're not smiling enough or you don't return my call quick enough or you do this, it's just too much for me to assume that you had it pre-programmed against me. So I have to start now. This is going to take a long time, but I don't know. What if we work on it all year? Guess what? If we worked on this all year and in a year from now we had this perfect, it'd be amazing. We have to begin to tell ourselves a million times, I'm not assuming this. If, if there's a problem, they need to articulate it. If there's a problem, someone needs to articulate it. We'll get to being good to other people which is a whole nother game. I know people will be like, what if you don't, how would you know? We'll get there. But let's bifurcate and let's handle it in chunks. This chunk, the rabbi not reacting to the, to the eggs, comes from the work that we do every day that says, I'm not assuming. I can't. I don't have the ability to assume. I don't have the strength. I don't have the, honestly, I don't have the investment. I can't invest in your in assumptions as to what's in your head. If you don't have the ability to say it, I'm not going to assume it. I can't, I'm going to end with this. We'll talk about this more tomorrow. I can't tell you how many non-fights I have avoided in my life. I can't even tell you. I walk into a room if someone's upset. I didn't call them back quick enough or, or I did something wrong, whatever it is. I can't tell you. I'm like, I can't, I'm not assuming they're upset at me. I can't walk into a room and assume that someone is, I just can't. I can't. I'm me. I'm here. You have a problem? Pick up the phone and call me. We'll talk it through. If you can't do that, how you doing? Just the freedom to not have to read someone's mind is like liberating. You, I'm giving you the freedom. Who am I? To be able to live in this world without having to read everybody's mind. They want to understand you. They want you to have them talk it out. But to sit around and assume that everyone's thinking things that we don't know they are, it just allows us to experience negativity in a way that never happened before. Allow that freedom to come in and raise the bar to everything around you. I'm here. Either you say it or I assume the best. That begins the process of starting this work that we're going to do now, which is getting rid of imaginary negativity. Okay, we'll continue this. Thanks so much. All right, Liron's last point is critical for those who are going to be uh, watching on Zoom. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being on today. Have an incredible day. Try putting some of this into practice. And with God's help, I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow. Have a great day.